How many of you had allergies this week? So if I sputter or I cough once, don't freak out. I don't have coronavirus. I've been vaccinated, plus I'm 95% sure I had COVID back in the beginning, February of 2020. I had all the symptoms. That's before they were testing anybody, you know. Uh, so I'm pretty sure if I cough today, it is not COVID. And by the way, it pretty, uh, looks like we might be getting back to fairly normal here soon. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, pretty exciting stuff. Um, I'm excited about the new series today we're starting. You know, there, there, are, uh, there are, I believe, three dimensions of Christianity. And um, the, the first is, uh, and I'm not saying they're always in this order, but consumer Christianity. And I, I'm all for consumer Christianity, by the way. A lot of preachers will talk about it, and they'll be, go, oh, consumer Christians. Oh, I'm a consumer Christian. I just want you to know that. I pray about my finances. I pray about my health. I pray about the weather. <laughs> I pray a lot about the material world. I want it to go as well as possible. The Bible says that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So we believe in the material world. We, we, we all should be consumer Christians. Jesus went about healing the sick. He went about providing money for his disciples' taxes. He fed the consumer need that we all have. The, the second uh, level, or not level, but the second dimension of Christianity is cultural Christianity. Um, Many of you are in this church because, you're, because a friend invited you. And you, you, you stay in the church because this becomes your culture, your, your values, uh, your, your friendships, your, your relationships. Um, the, the, I'm all for cultural Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think Christianity is one of the greatest cultures that you could ever hope to live in. Yeah. So um, cultural Christianity is great. But there's, there's another dimension of Christianity that th- th- this series will deal with a little more, and that is what I call con- con- conviction. Conviction and convinced Christianity. Now that is when you do what the Bible says. He that cometh to God must believe that he exists. Hebrews 11.6. He that cometh to God must believe that he exists. Now, th- that, is when, that is the bedrock of your Christian faith. You haven't really dug down to bedrock, they call it. You haven't really dug down to bedrock until you have convicted and convinced Christianity, which works when the culture's falling apart, when, you're, when your culture of Christianity isn't happening, the church is fighting, and, and, and you're having a church split, <laughs> oh, uh, and your body is sick, and you're broke, you still have God. Amen? Amen? I want you to have all three in your life. I want you to have a healthy consumer Christianity. I want you to have a healthy cultural Christianity. And above all, I want you to have a, a healthy conviction Christianity, a healthy convinced Christianity. That, and this is what I'll, I'll talk about it maybe in the series, my own trial that I went through where I really ran into a wall with my faith about 15 years ago. And um, anyway, let's jump in here. Um, Alan Emery was, uh, uh, had an illustrious career. Uh, you probably haven't heard of him, but he lived in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And he, uh, made a lot, he was very successful in the wool import business, and later he became the director of Service Master. You all know what Service Master is. And, but not only that, he was the CEO of the Billy Graham Association. And uh, uh, just an incredible human being. Uh, had Bible studies for youth groups at his house every Thursday night over in Weymouth, and eventually the town of Weymouth, back in 2011, purchased his, old, his home and 24 acres, and 
Uh, he, he lived to be 92 years old. And I, Sherry and I had a really cool thing happen to us. When we were early in our marriage, uh, we were in Boston for a Billy Graham event. And this very distinguished guy comes up to us, looking guy, comes up and says, I want to take you two to lunch. And uh, he so we said, sure. So we followed him down an alleyway to a, this little French restaurant with no prices on the menu. I had never been to a restaurant with no prices on the menu. I thought... <laughs> This place, everything's free here. This is great. <laughs> Fortunately, he paid the bill, and he, he was Alan Emery III. Uh, Alan Emery Jr. Was the, was the one who was CEO of the Billy Graham Association. He was Alan Emery III. And uh, we, we learned that. And, of course, I, I was too, too dumb to even get his phone number. You know? <laughs> Man, today I would have his phone number. <laughs> his email address. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Alan Emery knew where his success came from, and he, he makes this state. Alan Emery made this statement. He wrote a book called Turtle on a Fence Post, and he makes this statement. When I was a schoolboy, we would occasionally see a turtle on a fence post, and when we did, we, would knew, we knew someone had to put him there. He didn't get there by himself. That is what we must conclude when we look at the marvelous beauty, complexity, complexity and orderliness of the creation. Uh, we contrast this to the current academic conclusion that everything in nature has come about through accidental, unguided, purposeless uh, uh, process rather than as a result of divinely guided, meaningful intention. Now, some things do occur through guideless, unguided, purposeless process, that's for sure. And I, I want to get off in, down the weeds in explaining that right now. But the, the, the basic... Uh, 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 components of nature and the universe and your physical body and our species, there we believe there's a guided process. Romans chapter 1 verse 9 says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Now today, I'm mainly concerned for the believer and the pre-Christian in the house that need a confidence boost so they can experience the aliveness of God. I don't know that I would convince a hardened atheist today, but I, I believe many, many people in our churches, many people in our churches are functional atheists. They're not really atheists, but they're functional atheists because they don't, they, don't, they don't live in the aliveness of God and the belief that God really exists every day of their life. Psalms 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Some of us just need, you know, we need our joy restored. Some of us need to see God again. And the culture has buried God underneath our humanistic, self-centered way of, of approaching everything today. Psalms chapter 92, verse 1. I want to read this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. Amen. Amen. When the circumstances of life or conditions of the world, seems at, the world seem absent from God's presence, at times 
there's a place to go. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how creation speaks today. I want to present to you creation as a place to go to have your faith in God reaffirmed and to know there's something more than humans to run this world. Amen? David said, I lift mine eyes to the mountains from which comes my help. My help comes for the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And King David, Psalmist David, and the other psalmists, they didn't even have the information that we have today. And what's really uh, fascinating and what's really cool is, is the, the, the more science progresses, the more we have evidence of divine design. The more we have evidence of, an, of intelligent design behind this universe that we live in. Let's talk about the witness of creation. <clears throat> Did you know the average molecule is made from 150 amino acids, each aligned to ensure a folded chain? By now we've all seen the DNA and the chains of the DNA, right? Researchers have concluded. Now all the scientists know this. This is not something that just Christian scientists know. All the scientists know this, that the chances of random success, which is what Darwin taught, long, slow process of random selection, but the chances of random success that one average molecule will be created by chance is 1 in 10 to the 164th power. Now, what does that mean? Well, I tell you that what that means. That, 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 that means that one correctly sequenced protein chain for every 100 million, trillion, 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 13 million trillions. That's the chance that one single molecule could be created by chance. See, Darwin didn't know this. M molecular biology hadn't even been created when, when in uh, 1839 he gets on the uh, HMS Beagle and goes for five years around all those islands in the Galapagos in South America. He didn't even know this. He, he thought, as scientists all thought, that, that, that the, they thought that the cell was like a brick of jello. And there were all these bricks of jello. And you could just rearrange the bricks of jello and you could go from... You could go from uh, an, an amphibian, uh, from a fish to an amphibian uh, to a mammal. You know, you just by rearranging the bricks a bit. But what we've learned is that the cell is actually a complex piece of machinery. When, uh, when Francis Crick mapped, mapped out the human genome, he discovered, what did he discover? He discovered a mathematic formula. He discovered there were characters and, and a, a mathematical formula within, within the DNA, and a mathematical formula doesn't lead us to matter. It leads us to a mind. Amen? Amen? Amen. The materialist view is that matter acted upon energy which created lower life forms through which natural selection evolved into higher life forms. That's what they thought. Darwin called it the tree of life, the tree of life. That here was the, here was the, the jellyfish or, or the, the tadpole, and it... As it, as it began to ascend, it branched out into different, more complex forms, forms of life. And, 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 and for, whereas what, what evidence really shows is that there are six categories of creatures. There are invertebrates, fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, and mammals. And one of the, one of the, one of the 
great, incredible revelations that, it, that, that Darwin knew about, by the way. But by the way, I'm not painting, Darwin was not an, Darwin was not an evil man set, who set out to do evil and set, set out in his intentions to get rid of God. Actually, actually, on, on the uh, HMS Beagle, uh, the, the captain of that ship was a very religious man. And uh, what they were, one day they were going to go on this particular island and they were worried and thought it might be dangerous. And so Charles Darwin went and requested that they have communion and they serve communion. Uh, but, I mean, he was only 22 years old when he went on that, went on that journey. And, uh, I mean, I think 22-year-olds are pretty smart, but uh, um, just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> that he was doing all this exploration when he was 22. <laughs> and he was making these decisions that would literally change the world. That would literally change the world. But, but there, one of the events that happened that, that rocked even Darwin back on his heels, and I'm going to share a quote with him in a moment, uh, is something we call, they now call the Cambrian Explosion. And uh, I, I'm looking down at Magdalene alive because she teaches all this and she knows it better than I do. And, and I should probably, she should probably be up here doing this presentation. But so I'll look over every once in a while to see if I'm getting it right. You just, you just go this way if I get it wrong and this way if I get it right, okay? Uh, but uh, Adam Sedgwick was a, uh, was a uh, geologist, uh, in, a Welsh geologist, and, and he discovered uh, these, this fossil record where all of these animals, first ever animals, popped up in the fossil record. And they, they, when they looked at the sediments below, there was no transitionary life forms. And when and they looked at the sedimentary level above, there were no transitional life forms. And, and, and this created a real problem for Darwin. In fact, he described his concern about this conundrum, and he wrote, and I'll, I'll shoot the quote on the screen, the difficulty of understanding the absence of vast piles of F f uh, fossiliferous, fossiliferous, I'm, I, I practiced that like ten times, fossiliferous strata, which in my theory were no doubt somewhere accumulated before the Cambrian epoch, is very great. I allude to the manner in which numbers of species of the same group suddenly appear in the lowest known fossiliferous rocks. Charles Darwin. Darwin sent, in fact, you know, n nobody ever talks about the, the great scientists at Harvard named uh, Louis Agassiz. Now, Louis Agassiz was someone that, that Darwin respected. In fact, he, when he did his first writings, he sent, he sent the transcript to, uh, to Louis Agassiz at Harvard, and he, when Louis, he thought of Louis Agassiz was going to affirm him, but Louis Agassiz concluded the fossil record, particularly the record of the explosion of the Cambrian animal life. It was instantaneous life. No record of transitional forms. He said this to Darwin when he wrote him back. He said, I believe it poses an insurmountable difficulty for your theory. But because humans do, want, do not want a God in their life, they went with Darwin instead of the professor at Harvard. Uh, another, uh, another. Uh, see, they've had the, 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 that strata that they call the Cambrian explosion is all over the world. They, they had, to, they discovered it in Canada. The same, the same is that it's the same level of sediment, and they discovered it in China. And in fact, uh, uh, a 
few years ago at uh, Washington State University, or, or the University of Washington, I believe, they actually brought in the foremost scientists in China to talk about the Cambrian explosion that they discovered in China. The same strata of animals where the animals suddenly appeared that scientists believe is uh, like, they believe it's like uh, 500 million years ago that this appeared. And we don't know, but they, they keep making it shorter. I think last time I read it was 300 million years. But give or take a few hundred million years, who cares, right? <laughs> we'll go with 500 million years. So 500 million years ago, all these animals suddenly appeared. They, in, the, in, in this strata of the rock, okay? And so they, they bring in this, uh, this scientist named J.C. Chen, this foremost respected scientist from China, to, 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 to show his uh, vast collection of fossils. And he's doing this whole great presentation for them. And at the end of the presentation, they have a Q&A, &A, and one of, the, one of the professors raised his hand, and he, he asked him, he said, aren't you a bit worried about challenging Darwin and questioning Darwin because you live in a totalitarian society where uh, you're not allowed to question your government. And J.C. Chen said back to him, in China you can question Darwin but not the government. In the United States you can question the government but not Darwin. <laughs> Another problem with with uh, a total view of natural selection, again, I, I, I make it clear that there, there can be natural selection to some degree. If, 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 if in a geographic location, for some strange reason, uh, all the short people were wiped out, I don't know what would cause it, maybe a disease that kills short people, uh, <laughs> or ju just if somebody didn't like short people, you know, a, a despot ruler comes up who doesn't believe in short people, so he gets rid of all the short people. And if you do that long enough, pretty soon you wouldn't have any short people born anymore because you're getting rid of the genes out of that gene pool that for, for short people. So you have, a, you, have a, you have a society of all tall people. That's probably a terrible illustration, right, Megan? I mean, that's probably not a good illustration, but that's the best I got on that. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is, Christians, be really careful. We Christians haven't done very well with this. And, and we've at times been very anti-science, so don't go around saying, I don't believe in evolution. Well, you may believe in certain forms of evolution. You say, I don't believe in natural selection. No, don't say stuff like that. You sound stupid when you say things like that. <laughs> say, I don't believe in Darwinism. I don't believe in the way Charles Darwin created it. In fact, I don't believe Charles Darwin would believe it if he were around today. But the, our universities and our our schools just hang on to this theory for dear life. I, I understand why they do, but we will get into that later maybe. Another problem is what we call the expanding universe. For Darwin, uh, for, uh, for a strict Darwinian view, the expanding universe, which Darwin could have had no knowledge about, is a problem. And, and, but the invention of the Hubble telescope really opened up our understanding of our galaxy and the universe and the galaxies outside of us. And what we discovered, what we discovered, and that was like 1929 that Hubble invented or started using his telescope, and what he discovered is that, that all the planets are moving away from us, that, that the universe is expanding. And, uh, the, the, you know, it's kind of like, like one illustration I read. It's kind of like, like raisin bread. If you, you cooked a loaf of raisin bread and you put it in the oven and it starts to expand, 
the raisins, the raisins stay on the bread because they're held together. And that's pretty mysterious too. Why, why are they held? What's holding them together? Right? But something's holding them together. Uh, because we know about this expansion, we can now calculate. Here's the thing. Because we know about the expansion, we can now calculate a regression. You, you can have an infinite expansion. Who knows? How big is the universe? I don't know. I guess you could have an infinite expansion. But you can't have an infinite regression. It, it, it would be like if I blew up a balloon right now, and I, then I let the air out of the balloon, it would go back to its original size. Right? Well, that's, that's where they get the Big Bang Theory. That, that came out of a discovery of that expanding universe. It was originally formalized by a Belgian Catholic priest uh, na named uh, Dimitri, George G Lemaitre, I meant to say, in 1927 and 1929. Him and Hubble got together, and they, they eventually came up with the Big Bang Theory, which now all scientists agree now, they all agree now, that the, that the, the universe had a beginning, you know, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe God spoke and bang. <laughs> right? This is really in conflict with the slow, gradual change that evolution always requires. Darwinian evolution. Jeremiah 51.15 says, It is he who made the earth by his power and established it established it by the world, by his wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. Stretched out the heavens. The, the, the Bible is a mar marvelous book. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's a marvelous book. Another evidence that the world has a heavenly father is the finely tuned and complex details of creation. Gravity, for instance. If we had just a tiny bit more gravity, we would be crushed. If we had a tiny bit less, we would all fly apart. In fact, there are at least uh, 30 more element calculations that include entropy. Entropy is that, that, that second law of thermodynamics that says that order always order and energy always decrease, or, or order decreases over time, unless unless a uh, unless a, uh, 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 something, an organizing force, unless an, unless an organizing force acts on it, it decreases. And your, your house and your bedroom is testimony, and your bathroom is testimony that, dis, that, that things don't go from disorder to order, they go from order to disorder, unless an organizing force like you goes and cleans it up. How many of you have your garage become more orderly over time? How many of your physical bodies become, become more, more uh, advanced over time? No, I can, I can tell you for sure, I can testify today that I am biodegrading on schedule. <laughs> so... 30, uh, 30 elements, I, I don't want to mention them all, but the electrons, protons, nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, it, even 
those things are slightly off by, by a minuscule percentage that I couldn't even calculate. If they're slightly off in either direction, the universe doesn't work and the rate of expansion of the universe doesn't work and the stars don't even get created. The formation of atoms doesn't happen. The stars, the galaxies, the balance has to be perfect. This is something that all scientists know. In fact, former atheist Fred Hoyle said, a common sense inter interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintendent has monkeyed with the physics <laughs> as well as chemistry and biology and that there's no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. I do not believe that any physicist who examined the evidence would fail to draw the inference that the laws of nuclear physics have, have been deliberately designed with regard to the consequences they produce within the stars. Dr. David Dutch said, if anyone claims not to be surprised by the special features that the universe has, he is hiding his head in the sand. These special features are surprising and unlikely. I'll just give you one, just one, let, let me just talk about one part of your body that, that, to talk about, and we're just talking about one part, and that's the human eye. In fact, it's one of the things that bothered Darwin. Darwin said to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberrations could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd. That's Charles Darwin. Absurd in the highest sense. Evolutionist Robert Jastrow said the eye is a marvelous instrument resembling a telescope of the highest quality with a lens and adjustable focus, a variable diaphragm from controlling the amount of light and optical corrections for spherical and chromatic aberrations, the eye appears to have been designed. No designer of telescopes could have done better. How could this marvelous instrument have evolved by chance through a succession of random events? And that's an evolutionist talking right there. You know, 80% of the information you receive from the outside world is through your eye. The retina contains about 130 million rod-shaped cells which detect light, intensity, transmit impulses to the visual cortex of the brain by means of at least a million nerve fibers, while nearly 6 million cone-shaped cells do the same job while responding to color variations. The eye can handle 500,000 messages simultaneously and are kept clear by ducts that produce just the amount of fluid, fluid with which the lens clean both eyes simultaneously in one five-thousandth of a second. No wonder the psalmist said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I'm going to play uh, in my, the, when I was going through my own period of doubt, one of the books that changed me was I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Uh, by Frank Turek. And so I'm going to play a quick, uh, Megan, uh, I have Megan to thank for sending me this clip, and I'm going to play a quick tip, a quick clip of Frank Turek putting all this together, and he's a bulldog, and he's an intellectual, and he's a lot smarter than me, so I'm going to let uh, Frank take over for a minute and a half. That we have two options here. Either the universe is the uncaused first cause, or something beyond the universe is the uncaused first cause. The problem is, is that all the evidence points to the fact that the universe is not the uncaused first cause. And I didn't have time to go through that evidence tonight, that was part one. But I'll, I'll give it to you very briefly in an acronym, SURGE, S-U-R-G-E. S stands for the second law of thermodynamics, which says that the universe is running down. Well, if it's running down, somebody must have wound it up. 
We'd have no energy left right now if the universe was eternal. The U stands for the fact that the universe is expanding. Edwin Hubble detected that back in 1929 and shows that everything came from a single point, a point actually of infinite density, the singularity, which is actually nothing. So the universe had a beginning. The R in surge stands for the radiation afterglow. That's the remnant heat discovered by Penzias and Wilson in 1965, which is literally the smoking gun to the Big Bang. There's heat, remnant heat from the Big Bang still out there, which shows that the universe had a beginning. The G in surge stands for the great galaxy seeds, which were very fine temperature variations in that radiation afterglow that allowed the galaxies to form in the early universe. And the E stands for Einstein's theory of general relativity, which shows that time, space, and matter are co-relative, that they came into existence together, that space, time, and matter literally had a beginning. Einstein knew this in 1916. Then observational evidence began in 1919 when Eddington did his test on the, on the eclipse. And then Hubble discovered the expanding universe in 1929, and then on to the radiation afterglow and the great galaxy seeds after that. So, the evidence points to the fact that the universe is not the uncaused first cause. So there must be something beyond the universe that is, and that thing that's beyond the universe must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. That we have two options here. Now, I'm going to give you a test on all that. You're going to have to remember all that. <laughs> Some wicked smart people know that there is a God. <laughs> Boy, there's so many directions I would go right now, but I'm going to try to land the plane. The worship of the Creator. Romans 1.19 says, God's invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature are revealed in what He has made. Amen. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. Oh, you remember a few weeks ago I talked about um, um, uh, the, the missionary who ministered to the Alka Indians and he was murdered along with his, his companions. Remember we talked about that? Well, one of those was Nate Saint, was one of those guys who was murdered. And his wife Rachel went back to the, that same tribe and led them to Christ. Um, and... Um, she, at one point, brought a bunch of these Alka Indians to New York City on a trip, like a field trip. And, of course, they had never been out of the jungles before. And the, 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 the saints and those, that group were the first white people they'd ever seen. And so she tucked them on top of the um, Empire State Building. You know, you can go up there, the observation deck. And she thought they would just marvel at the, the skyline of the city. But she said she was shocked. They were only interested in the pigeons that were landing on the observation deck. They focused all their attention on the pigeons. And she was extremely disappointed that they did not catch the grandeur of New York City and the skyline. And that, that's the way we are sometimes. We're just like that. We get so focused on uh, our personal comfort. We get so focused on maybe how a friend is treating us or somebody's rejecting us or somebody doesn't like us. We get so focused on this minutia in life. That no, no, no wonder David said, I will look to the hills from which cometh my help. No, no wonder Jesus said, when all these horrible things begin to happen on the earth, and he talks about Luke in Luke chapter 24, no wonder he says, lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. Don't freak, 
don't freak out, look up. <laughs> and uh, the, the story is told one time that Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton had set up a model in his laboratory or office, whatever, with an exact replica of the solar system. And, and it is so interesting to me that science was actually created by believers. Really, the Royal Institute of Science, the, the first scientific foundation in England, was all founded by people who believed in God. And the, the, their, their reason for studying this universe and the reason for studying the solar system was not to disprove God, but to worship God. They, they, they explored the solar system so they could learn more about the glory of God. And so he, he, one day Isaac Newton is there in his office and a guy, he had all the planets were geared up by cogs and belts to make them move around just like in reality, move around the sun in perfect harmony, right? And this uh, friend comes by and says, my Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made it for you? This friend was an atheist, by the way, and not a believer. And without looking up, Newton replied, nobody. Nobody. His friend asked, that's... You sure? That's right. I said nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happen to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance they begin revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. It's no accident that God is referred to by name 35 times in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God is the greatest, probably the greatest verse in the Bible. Creation confirms the brilliance. And, and th this is where it gets real for you and me. This is not, the Bible's not a science book. And, and this is not a science class. This is a house of worship. Bethany Community Church is a house of worship. So we need the creation. You, you can believe in creation but not have an experience with God. You need to bring it down to the applicable level. The creation confirms the brilliance and wisdom of God. We're all starving for a transcendent source of knowledge, wisdom, and brilliance. Human rights, compassion, the care of the weak, that is the wisdom of God that has been given to us. And it's opposite of the survival of the fittest. It's opposite of the survival of the fittest. <coughs> like my first cough. It's, it's such a breath of fresh air. Amen. And uh, I love the story of and back in, I believe it was 1976, they, and down in Philadelphia, they had what they call the Wistar Symposium. A bunch of, you'll appreciate this, Jim Butler. A bunch of engineers said, we want to see if Darwinism Darwinistic evolution could actually work. The engineers want things that want to know how things work. We, we've got a lot of we got a lot of our biologists and scientists have become religious leaders. I said they become religious leaders, and they found a new god, and the new god is self. The new god is humans. It's no accident that the mark of the beast is six six six. Because six is one short of number seven. And seven is the number of God's perfection. And six is the number of man. And that's what's happening in, a, in the world right now. Is we are, we are abandoning the worship of God for the worship of human. And human ingenuity. And it's not working well. <laughs> I, I'm not worried about it working out. Because it won't. It, I'm going to follow the science. 
You know what science is? You look at it and see what it does. That's following the science. But, uh, but the Wistar Symposium, these, these engineers got together and with, they invited biologists and geologists and scientists to meet with them. And they, they created what they call the mathematical challenge to Darwinism. And they got up at this meeting and said, mathematically, Darwinism will not work. An engineer cannot make it work. And they, I, I, I read that that meeting became so hot and heavy that they were actually throwing chairs at each other. Because people don't like it when you mess with their religion. And that's me. I don't want you to mess with my religion. Creation confirms the sovereignty of God. Weak and evil people don't and won't always get their way. That is the insight of a creator God who gives a powerful call to worship. Com- Creation confirms the sovereignty of God. Creation confirms the nature. It confirms the triune nature of God. Now, why is that important? Why is the Trinity important? I tell you why. There's a lot of reasons. But one reason the Trinity is important is because you're a Trinity. You're a triune being, body, soul, and spirit, or spirit, soul, and body, more more appropriately put. You are spirit, soul, and body. And if you want to really understand yourself, and you want to know how you work, you, uh, you understand that you are a triune being. You are made in the image of God. You are spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body. Your body is not at the top of the hierarchy. Your spirit is at the top of the hierarchy. And that's why you're in church today, to feed your spirit. <laughs> Creation confirms the power of God. I think of the things I'm praying for. I think of the things I'm concerned about. I, I'm tempted to mention something, but, but for the sake of time, I won't. I won't tell you my own personal stuff that I'm praying for. I'm, things I'm, I'm really worried about. You know what gives me faith? Walk outside at night, and I see the full moon. I see the starlit sky. And everything's working together in perfect balance. I, I see that spring happened again. What do you know? What do you know? We had spring again. Just like we have had spring for at least 6,000 years. And I say to myself, I've got a great, big, wonderful God. He can take care of my concern about the cost of building supplies. <laughs> he can take care of my concern about the cost of lumber right now. <laughs> No wonder, no wonder suicide rates are up. We've, we've given away the, the one thing that gave us hope. The one, we, we've, given, we've given away the one incredible privilege of answered prayer. Creation confirms the order and ways of God. When we reject the biblical story, we're rejecting the ways of God. We're rejecting God's order. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, the Bible says, but in there are the ways of death. You, you can draw a direct line from Darwinism, and like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to write about this tomorrow in my little weekly wisdom because I, I want to I be nice to Darwin, and I don't want to just be mean to him. But I, so I want to be nice to him tomorrow when I write. I'm going to write some nice things about him. But I'm telling you, you can draw a direct line from Darwinism to Marxism and fascism. You can draw a direct line. I tell you, the Bible says where you're known by your fruit. And the fruit of atheistic... Uh, uh, Darwinistic evolution is death and, 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 and the will to power 
the will to power. That's why, that's why Nietzsche, Nietzsche was concerned about the will to power. That's his first thing he wrote was the will to power because he, he, he had abandoned God and he knew that blood was going to flow in the streets because we had abandoned God. He understood that. Creation confirms the order and ways of creation. Creation confirms the faithfulness of God. It confirms the love and compassion and redemption of God. So many things it confirms. But what about you? What about the new creation in you? If God could create that mighty universe, think what he'd like to create inside of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We used to sing, though man may strive to go beyond the reach of space, to crawl beyond the distant shimmering stars. The world's a room so small within my master's house to open skies, the open skies, but a portion of his yard. How big is God? How big and wide is vast domain? To try and tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule this mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. God is not only the creator of heaven and earth, he also creates a new life to those of us who've been damaged and darkened and destroyed by sin. The earth was without form and void. Well, let me tell you something. I was without form and void. And the Lord looked at me, and sin plunges our lives in this chaos of emptiness and darkness. God's Spirit moves on our formless lives and our purposeless lives and says, let there be light, and there will be light. Even, even in speaking of the power of the gospel and alluding to his own dramatic conversion from blinding flash of light, Apostle Paul said, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen. I don't say what I'm about to say with the least bit of negativity or condemnation in my mind, but I feel that someone under the sound of my voice has become a functional atheist. I say functional atheist because you still identify as a cultural Christian. You probably identify uh, as a consumer Christian because you pray about stuff. But your view of God is not high enough. It's not big enough. It's not big enough for you to obey when you don't understand. It's not big enough for you to believe when when stuff comes at you or the political realm goes haywire against what you wanted it to go. You don't completely walk away from God because Christianity is, like I said, it's cultural and it's a social identity, but that's not a transforming faith. Can I invite you back from the brink of, of falling into that darkness of a life totally without the influence of God? Can I invite you back from that brink to a life of hope and stability and experience the absolute thrill of the aliveness of a divine creator who, when you, if you'll retune your senses to his beauty and his presence, you'll start seeing him show up in your everyday life in a way that I promise you will be transforming. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's not just a far-off distant creator who flung the stars in space. He's wanting to sit at table with you that you may taste and see that the Lord is good and every one of you who has a living faith as much as you as, as I do care about the intellectual side of faith and I believe the modern day evangelical church has abandoned the intellectual side of faith 
but for good for for reasons that are you know why they've abandoned it because the intellectual side of faith is not where you experience the reality of God you experience the reality of God not by knowing all the stuff that I talked about this morning you 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 experience the reality of God with your heart you experience the reality of God you don't have to know anything about creationism you don't have to know anything about molecules or the infinite regress or any of that stuff and have a incredible living relationship with God because Christ comes by his spirit to meet you in your heart this morning and if you have not had that experience or if you've drifted away I want to invite you back Christy would you come and close us in prayer I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a man named George Washington Carver, but he lived, um, he was a scientist in the early 20th century, and he asked God to reveal to him all the secrets of the universe. And I think God in his wisdom knows that no one, no human being can understand all the secrets of the universe. So you do know, who knows who he is? What did God reveal to him? About what? The peanut. And you know what? He learned over 300 uses for the peanut. And, and this was a journey of between him and God, of the Holy Spirit, just him doing, he's a scientist. And he it transformed Southern agriculture. And things that are done in farming now, even to this day, are because of that. And I want to encourage you, let's stand across this room. The reason I bring that up is because there's just too much to know about God. <laughs> for our minds to understand there's too much and there's so many different perspectives and we're going to get to heaven and we're going to find out a lot of people that we're fighting we're both right we we just can't even understand so what what I want to encourage you today is do you know the feeling that when you have stood on the top of a mountain or you have stood at the ocean or when a baby was born in your life and just pure unadulterated wonder at how big God is and how small you are in his presence but you are chosen by that God of the universe oh I got some background music this is very theatrical <laughs> it's okay it's okay God is real. He's big. He's going to show up in your life. But like George Washington Carver, go before him and say, we're going to do that right now. Reveal yourself to me. Where I am in the world, where my, my station in life, what in the realm of what you have for me and your plan for me, reveal yourself to me, God. And because I'm a finite being, the way I see you is going to be different from the way the others around me might see you. So let's bow our heads across this room and we're just going to ask God to reveal himself to us and that we would return to a sense of wonder and awe at what he's done and how even though he is vast and so much about him is unknowable, he is personal to you. God, we stand before you today as your creation, but you've called us the apple of your eye. We are the part of your creation that you died to redeem. And God, we're just in awe. I pray as your kids today, we would get hungry again to have you revealed to us, God. 
reveal yourself to us, that we would start to search for you. We would search for you in science. We would search for you in relationships. We would search for you in the skyline, in our kids, in our job. Whatever it is that we do, we would begin to just look for you and find you and see how you work and move. God, I pray that we would not be jaded. God, I pray that we would not expect people to be our answer, that we would know it's you, God. It is you. No human being on this planet, no scientist, no politician, no business person, no even pastor can do for us what you have already done. We're hungry for you. Reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.